0: Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
1: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair with Andrea Simintov, which makes a lot of sense. Um... Good morning, good morning, Eretz Israel. It feels like it's been so long since we've spoken, since we've been back together. I don't know. I think I was not feeling. I think I had a very rough winter with all of the, all of the health and all of the tea and all of the lozenges and all of the inoculations and everything. I had a very, very rough winter. It was crazed around here so finally we're back we're healthy Israel News Talk Radio is vibrant and indeed the only place that your computer I guess once in a while you can listen to music but other than that um, we have lots of well we have wonderful people listening in this morning and as you join us I will announce it but I'd like to say good morning America well good night America I think, what time is it, like on the on the West Coast? It's nine at night, and, uh, midnight in New York, I believe. Boket it's Israel. It's going to be a nice one today. Canada is with us. You know how I feel about Canada. Okay. And this morning we have Uganda with us. Very excited. And hopefully when the load shedding <laughs> takes a break, we'll have South Africa joining us. All right. Um, one of the things I wanted to share with you, you know, this show is intensely personal. Um, you know, Not ugly, not smarmy, but just the kind of things that interest me, I just think are interesting to so many of you. And um, I've been having a bureaucratic a bureaucratic nightmare here in Israel. And anybody who's listened to this show for any amount of time knows that I am Miss Zumgali Gali. I mean... It's Israel. I'm Israel. Hey, and with every fiber of my being, and this does not change, I believe that Israel is the home of the Jews. And there is not one Jew, regardless of his or her political mindset, um, level of um, religious observance, every Jew belongs here in our only country. Nevertheless, Whisper, whisper. I was having a very hard bureaucratic problem this week, this week since December 23rd. First email went out to a pension fund, which will remain nameless, although I told them I was going to name them on the show. Let's <laughs> so see how well that did for me. And it became so ugly and so terrible. And I found myself losing my God. What does that mean? I've heard it said that when anger is present, God is absent. And forgetting all the beauty, all the rules, everything I know about having a higher faith and knowing that everything is going to be for the good and everything is exactly the way it should be, I lost it. And I didn't just lose it, I was ugly. I was left with an ugly sense of self, crazed, couldn't find my road back to spiritual and moral health, and recognizing that with every interaction with Jews in my Jewish country, in my home, I was losing more and more of myself, and it wasn't reflecting who and what I am. These interactions distanced me from Israel, the Israel that I love. You know, and I was thinking to myself, at the end of the day, nothing terrible happened. It's all going to be fine, but we're all human. And that is the whole beauty of the Torah's blueprint. The fallibility, the flaws in all of us including the ima'ot and the avot, our forefathers and foremothers. I didn't do any worse this week in my ugly losing it than I did, than, than our forefathers and our foremothers have done as well. And all I'm saying is all of us are human, all of us lose it. And the most wonderful thing is that we have a road back. Someone once described, I love this, they said, you know, how did people lose their track from Torah observance, from beautiful Torah Judaism? And it was likened, hold on, I have to sh- shut the heat in here, it's like getting a little roasty. moment. Is the show real or what? Um, and It was described, imagine you're living in Eastern Europe and, oh, Jamaica has joined us. It's so nice. Good morning, Jamaica. Um, And the snow starts to fall. Of course, people in Jamaica and Uganda uh, don't really know what it's like to have a natural snowfall in their country, but just stick with me. And it starts to snow. And every day you have taken the same road back from the train station to your village. And and the road is coming and it's coming and it's coming. But you know the road and you're walking and you're leaving footprints in the road back to the place that you are very comforted in. And the snow keeps falling and it falls deeper and deeper. And those of us who lived in New England and those of us who certainly are living in Canada know what I'm talking about and the snow keeps falling and suddenly that road, that indent gets a little bit fuller and you can't really discern it from the side of the road and the footprints that preceded you are gone. And so you think you know where the road is and you follow and you walk and you walk and literally you're creating your own gentle road. What happens? The next person comes along and doesn't see that original road. They see your new, freshly made tracks. Tracks that were, were fostered with good intentions. And what happens is the next people come and the next people and the secondary road replaces The original road that is still there, that is still well paved with love and good intentions and the smells and heartbeat of home, but a new road has been formed and it's not accurate. But nevertheless, people say, I'm on that road. This is what happens and this is how we lose ourselves from time to time. But I promise you, the original road is there and for certainly so many in our generation, we are certainly the generation of the returnees, the returnees to Torah and the returnees to um, a more traditional life. The road remains okay. And again, once it thaws, we do find the road. Um, you know, I'm going to go back on to this. I was recently by the Kotel, the Western Wall in the old city. And I'm trying to think now. We're not quite, are we quite? No, we're not quite in our big tourist season, the winter tourist season. The Hanukkah season has ended. And soon, in about another two weeks, I believe is going to be what they call the yeshiva break, the school break. I think it's also the New York City public school breaks. Anybody listening from the States, let me know. Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. I seem to remember it. Anyway, tourists will once again be upon us. And... I was shocked. I was walking down the steps to the hotel, and there was so much garbage. And the garbage was not food refuse or blown leaves. You know what I'm going to say, boys and girls. It was that filthy plastic, plastic bags and plastic cups and plastic forks. And from what I understand, I don't think we have anybody from England listening in, but apparently two, three months ago, England began a ban, a ban of single-use plastic tableware. And um, shelf-ready food was allowed, but they were not selling. Am I wrong? No more plastic plates, cutlery, and a range of other items? I promise you, if we would outlawed. There would be a hue and cry, a hue and cry from the masses. But I want to tell you something. 1960s, 1970s, even the early 1980s, it was, you would go to a simcha, you would go to a bar mitzvah, you would go to a wedding, you would go out to dinner with friends and somebody would light up a cigarette at the table. And the more progressive restaurants had no smoking sections. And When the ban on public smoking was initiated all over the world and certainly in the West, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember they were screaming what's happening to our civil rights. I was a smoker. I used to sit in the back of the plane. You couldn't see my face through the smoke. And you know what? Today, when somebody lights up a cigarette, even in Israel, okay, Not not all over, and there is is smoking here, but it's not like other parts of the world. But be prepared for a dirty look. Be prepared for someone to tell you it's against the law. People get used to things. They get used to the terrible, but they also get used to the good. And when we look back, there was a time when our doctors were smoking. I promise you, when plastic wear is associated with, with vulgarity, with gauche, with a primitive mindset, slowly, slowly, people will understand. The stuff doesn't disappear. And I don't care what faith you are listening to this show, what your level is of observance is of whatever your preferred faith is. Every one of us, we were given this world, we were given it to protect it, to honor it, to nurture it, to celebrate it. Indeed, to protect everything that has God has given us. And when we think that the bands, the hue, the cry has nothing to do about with us, we're being very selective. Selective in our observance and selective in our in our relationship with heaven. My name is Andrea Semintov. Woo! Guess what? See you on the other side. news talk radio.com you know i'm just i'm i'm sitting here with all my notes all these things i want to share today but lest lest i leave you thinking that when we lose it we don't have tools we do have tools and um I felt so when I, I shared this 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 freak out, this absolute freak out, freak out. I got my neighbors involved who spoke Hebrew better than I did, former civil servants. Okay, I figured civil servants know how to talk to civil servants. They have the the mindset. I'm too soft. And um and oh, we have more people joining us this morning. It's so glorious. I'll let you know in a moment, who's in my living room. It's so super. But anyway, um it wasn't enough. I was so out of myself. You know, the, 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 the rabbin speak about the power of rage and what it does to it and what a contagion it is. And I lost it. And then not only did I increase my prayers, I increased my saying of psalms. And believe me, I am so human. I have every day. I, have, well, I really can't get to it today. I can't say so many. I could say one. You know what? I'll say two tomorrow and not today. I mean, I'm just so incredibly based when it comes to loftiness. And yet I knew that if I did not connect, if I did not connect to God, I was really shredding the lifeline. And then at the beginning of the week, I took off two days. Literally, I canceled all appointments, medical. I didn't take the dog to the vet. You can imagine. I mean, like she really needed a treatment. That'll be next week. Um and I took off 2 days, 2 me days to remember all that I'm grateful for. And you know what? Anybody listening in, whether live or on podcast, you're part of that. I just wanted to share that. So we do have tools, we can take time out, we can step back and remember when rage is present, God is absent. All right. So not only do we have the U.S. listening, Israel, Canada, Uganda, Jamaica, okay, is with us. Germany, Boca Germany. Brazil is with us. Again, so nice to know that you're there. And look at that. The Islamic Republic of Iran is listening in this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, look, we're going to talk about just I need to share something that's just you know what? This is too filthy to share. All right. If you want to know where I get any of my notes, any of my tea materials, I'll send you the sources. I'll send you the links. Write me a note, Andrea, at Radio.com. I'll say just something came across my desk. I'm going to just say this very quickly. Um, if anybody wants to know how repulsive the EU is, how vulgar, how repulsive, how detached from heaven. where do I even get this article. It might be a CNN report. Uh, I'll find it for you later. Apparently, the Scotland police, anybody listening in knows that the Scotland police recently referred, I kid you not, to pedophiles. Need I say the word again? You heard the word the first time as I quote, minor attractive, attracted people, people who are attracted to minors. Well, how is that for sinking deeper and deeper into a mix of, I say it, depravity, filth? The churches, the synagogues, the mosques, the ashrams are remaining silent while the EU rebrands pedophiles as people with a sexual interest in children. Let's all take a hot shower after this one. Okay, let's throw that away. I just needed to share that with you in case anybody thought that I was more liberal than that. You know what? I'm pretty tolerant. I'm not liberal. I'm tolerant. But you know what? Nobody, no one should be that tolerant. All right. Um, Let's see. Oh, all right. Anybody who, uh, okay. Those who follow the news follow the trends of anti-Semitism, certainly on the college campuses of the US. No, they've all heard the name. I'd like to say Maximo. his name should be wiped out, but I can't really say this. Okay, there's this fellow. He's very lofty. I'm supposed we're supposed to say Dr. Professor Ken Roth. There's this jerk called Ken Roth, Kenneth Roth. Uh, He's my age, so he must be very, very young. And, of course, he's an American attorney. Of course, he's a human rights activist. And, of course, duh, he's a writer. And he's a former executive director of, hold on, let me gargle, (laughs) Human Rights Watch. Okay. Anyway, he has submitted, I think he was actually rewarded, correct me if I'm wrong, a uh, fellowship in human rights for where, the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. I just want to share with you a statement by really my guru, Dr. Uh, Gerald Steinberg. Gerald Steinberg, Dr. Steinberg, if you don't know who he is, Google him, look him up, and become a chassid, become a devotee of Dr. Steinberg. He is the director of the NGO monitor. And here is his statement. And I just want to give you this. Remember, we're getting into Shabbos and we all have to remember who we are and um, what we are made of. Statement on the reversal of the Harvard decision on Ken Roth. And you could imagine, boys and girls, it did not reverse into our favor. I quote, NGO Monitor is disappointed by the reversal by the dean of Harvard's Kennedy School of Government regarding Ken Roth's application for a fellowship in human rights. In 30 years as the head of Human Rights Watch, listen up, put on your seatbelts, Roth has consistently singled out Israel for demonization and delegitimization, delegit- you know what I'm saying, Usering, using numerous false and distorted claims. These campaigns contributed significantly to anti-Semitism and added to the targeting of Jewish students on university campuses. He has also solicited and accepted funds from donors whose records are the antithesis of the principles and accountability that should serve as the foundation for universal human rights writes, we also known that Dean Elmendorf rejected Roth's attempts to portray his initial rejection as a result of a nefarious Jewish conspiracy, further adding to his record of antisemitism. While Roth and his allies have succeeded in forcing this outcome, the stains on this record will not disappear. Um, this kind of stuff puts those of us in the Jewish activist camp, in the Israel celebrating activist camp in a very difficult position, to have a microphone is an honor, a humbling honor. And when people write to me and say, yeah, but look, this guy's Jewish. The fact is that Ken Roth was married in a church, in an Anglican church to a Anglican, a very proud Christian woman and shoes, ha- anything that smacks of Torah Judaism. But how any human being can equate this holy nation, this indeed flawed holy nation, as the source of the world's evil? If it walks like a duck, if it talks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, you're talking about Ken Roth. Okay. Woohoo moment. Israel woohoo moment. Every day when I drive back, not every day, but when my husband and I for the last few years have been driving past the old city and we pass this glorious, we say, we can't believe you live here. Look at the old city walls. Look at the Tower of David. But it was very hard to see what was going on. The Tower of the David was just surrounded with, um, you know, kind of like a crystal shrouding and scaffolding. Well, I found out what it was. The Tower of David now and David's Citadel is now disability accessible. It was never designed that way. You have to see this place. I mean, listen, it was these little winding steps. Not so easy. I don't know how many years it took. I mean, certainly not, you know, King Herod didn't envision, you know, people with wheelchairs and walkers needing to go up and down. It was a very difficult project because they're very conservative, and rightfully so. This is history that cannot be replicated. Well, I tell you, you have to see it. For the first time, people who are disabled in this very young country that's really learning its way and trying to become more inclusive are able to see, to visit, to partake of all the magic that still exists in Israel. Let's see, one other woohoo moment. So we're not gonna talk about this, we only have a few. Yeah, Um, very exciting. So if you want, oh yeah, came across a story. Do we have anybody listening in from India uh, this week? Apparently I came across a story a little bit heartbreaking. Well, you know what, a little bit heartbreaking about a nine year old girl in India from a very wealthy family a real a dynasty a a gem dynasty who announced to her parents that she wants to be a nun she's eschewing all of the family wealth and this 9-year-old girl has entered a uh, a, ni- a a monastery um she's become a Jane, j a i n a very a very intense religion. We can talk about that at later times. But the question is, when does a child become an adult? When is a child allowed to make these decisions? Apparently, this kid has been taking upon herself fasting since the age of two. And we know that in the world, mostly around the world, we say the rights of adults begins at 18, begins at, um, some say, 21. And this little girl, anyway, apparently there are protests in the street that this little girl is having her childhood taken away from her, that she is being deprived. I just got a very funny note. Sorry, I'm not laughing at this story. Um, Deprived her childhood. What do you think about it? Let's talk about it on the other side. Andrea Simitov, see you on the other side. Pull up a chair. Israel Um, yeah. It's gone for so long. You know, it's just <laughs> I realize what is this about? We sit, we muse, we share. I hope anybody's having a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, a cup of tea, and just saying, hey, I'm gonna hang out with my friend Andrea for an hour. So now I don't understand how I could do this show if it weren't on a Thursday or Thursday night or a Friday. Because you know what? You just feel the Shabbos coming. You do it. They say that if you have two Shabbosim in a row, two Shabboses in a row, will you really, really do Shabbos. I'm not saying Shabbos light, Shabbos-ish, but you do Shabbos. Uh, what did I read? Shabbos is this incredible mitzvah where you don't have to do anything. The less you do, the more in the mitzvah you are. You do it in just two Shabboses in a row by Shabbos three, you can't not have Shabbos. Okay, this is actually part of my Devar Torah section. I went to a comedy show last week. What, Andrea? This is uh, this is anybody living in Israel, anybody Anglo in the English speaking community knows exactly the comedy show I'm talking about. And um, at the end of the show, the comedians and it's a it's a very, it's a very holy, it's a it's a comedy show. They raise money for a uh, charity organization doing incredible work really incredible work in changing the lives of some people in very serious circumstances. Okay. Want more details? Drop me a note. Andrea at Israel News talk blah, 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 blah. Okay. Anyway, one of the comedians, let me just see, where did I put this note? Hold on a minute. I had this, a great note. I can't even see exactly where I wrote the note. Here we go. Yeah. So one of the, at the end of the show, they turn on the lights in the audience. They do, it's really cute. They do a selfie. They do an audience selfie where the comedians turn their back to the audience and they say, um, and they say, you know, everybody smile in the audience. I'm just trying to see where I wrote this. I wrote it in a very nice, uh, you know, what's, I called it, what's the big deal with tefillin? But anyway, um, one of the fellows, they said to this, this, this one guy, this one comedian, what was your best experience in his, you know in Israel and of course you know so many um, so many people come and they say oh you know the Israeli soldiers the women the food the falafel and this fellow said it was so beautiful he said it was the first time I ever put on tefillin and I got to thinking about you know I thought to myself well what's the big deal about tefillin why is that such a big deal and I realize that it looks very strange to so many people when they think about, um, oh to fill in are the phylacteries, right? I thought everybody knows. the straps, the straps that Jewish men put on here we go. Uh, Jewish men put this on in the morning in their, in their prayers most of the year. I mean, we don't put them on on the Sabbath. We don't put them on during, the, uh, during our holidays in the intermediary. intermediary Intermediate. I don't know what's happening to the English this morning. You know what happens is you don't learn more Hebrew. You just learn. You lose your English. Anyway, it's straps, leather straps, very clearly defined, and they have. And there's two boxes: a box that goes on the forehead, and a box that goes on the hand, depending on your right hand and left hand. Anyway, the reason I'm raising it now is because we're coming into our Sabbath and we always do a little section, or I try to do a section that I called from the uh, from the Torah to your table. And so I'm going to be talking about this at my Shabbos table with my two sons. And I thought that maybe it's fodder for your own discussion. As I said, this comedian was a Jewish guy by birth. Nothing about him intersected with observant Judaism. So here, I'm going to share with you. So I was like, you know, what's the big deal about tefillin? I grew up, all the men in my world put on tefillin, and I didn't realize how strange it is for those who don't. So let me just share this with you. The tefillin, okay? And that's the box. The tefillin of the hand, it has in it a single piece of parchment. You know, parchment is, um, I believe it's, it's lambskin with all four passages of the torah written upon it you can imagine you know they actually have to fill in museums and you could see it the teeny teeny writing all four passages of the torah are written on it and that goes on the the arm and the tefillin on the head has four has um um the tefillin on the head has four separate pieces of parchment each in its own compartment, okay? So there's a single compartment on the on the arm and four in the head. So there are a lot of sources, but there's a book called Torah Gems. I don't know where you get it. I have it in the house. Probably get it on ma- online today. So it comments that when it comes to ideas as symbolized by the tefillin of the head, there can be so many ideas. We're not the same. Every person thinks as he sits fit, based on his environment, on his upbringing, on his religiosity or lack thereof. There can be what we say a multiplicity with every person thinking as he sees fit. This is the human condition. But when it comes to action, as symbolized by the tefillin of the hand, division, it's a sin. Our actions must be united and unified. I have described to you, please, God, what my Shabbos table is going to be like this week. I hope yours. Let me know what uh, what comes out from your discussions. Unity, lack of unity. Can you think differently and act the same? What happens when we think we're in agreement, but we all act with uh, divergent attitudes? Okay. This week's Parsha... Uh, let me pull up the time. Am I too far from the mic? Here we are. This week's Parsha is called Bo, Parshat Bo. Parsha is a Torah portion. What is it about salvation, redemption? These are are rewards that do not come easily. In this week's portion, the cost of our redemption is, is in graphic detail. The Torah is not going to bear any explanation about the cost and the punishment that is meted out to the Egyptian Paro and his nation, the oppressors, the enslavers of the Jewish people. The Midrash teaches us that the Jews also, any of you who think that every Jew got out of Egypt? Oh, no, really a small portion We also suffered great loss in this process of redemption and gaining of our freedom. I must, I must interrupt my notes and tell you that the word, the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim. In that word appears the Hebrew word Tsar, Tzadik Rish, Tsar. The word in Egypt talks about bondage. Tsar is confinement, constrainment. Very often, those of us who know a, a smattering of Yiddish, we've had grandparents that say, Oi, 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 did I have tsuris? Tsuris. And we said, it must be trouble, you know, travail, trouble. The word tsara, tsuris, means a constrainment of the heart. Because what is problems, what is heartache is when we are limited in our ability to find solace. So even the word Mitzrayim tells us it is a land of containment and the borders were ironclad. Nobody left Egypt. Okay, got that off of my chest. So you will all be scholars by the end of this. I hope I will. According to um, according to certain Midrashic opinion, most of the Jews, they were never able to leave Egypt at all. Only a minority, as I said, successfully followed Moshe out of the house of slavery. And ironically, even those who left Egypt, the word most is generous. Almost none of us made it to see the promised land. So why, why is it that this, you know, we certainly know that, for those in the world who came from slave communities, I certainly think that, 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 that black Americans can relate to those who know their history. You know, I have to ask you, why is this process of redemption and independence independent, such a long and painful one? God, God is great. God can do, God can do anything. He could have made it easier on everyone involved. Well, the obvious lesson is, Freedom, redemption, both physical and spiritual, they have little value if it's all that easy. You know, the symbol of blood on the doorposts, that signal, that immediate moment of redemption. As the Torah says, and I, the Lord, said unto you with your blood and sacrifice shall you live. The rabbis interpreted the the repetition of this phrase twice as referring to the paschal sacrifice and the blood of circumcision. Redemption, it's meant to be hard won. It's not a gift. It's certainly not a given. It doesn't come at no cost. You know, being a Jew entails blood, at the beginning of life, we're not going to go into all of these details, but become, becoming a truly free Jew that the Torah commands us to become entails a lifelong sacrifice and the, and the blood that this entails. And blood, even that, is not always literal. Our generation, this comes down from Rabbi Wine. I don't remember where I read this in Rabbi Wine in all of my notes that I get to. Our generation is also involved and and absorbed in a struggle for redemption, for salvation, personal, national. Israel is still, despite the building, despite our wonderful army, despite our economy, despite all the wonderful things, kid you not. And don't fool yourselves. Every day of existence in the Jewish state comes at great cost. When you hear about Lahavdil, a terrorist massacre that was thwarted, an insurgent, that an insurgence that was stifled, you're not hearing about a one-off aberrant. What you're not hearing about are the everyday heroes that are thwarting hundreds of potential attacks every single week. Our struggle goes on hour by hour, and it takes a toll. But in a psychological, spiritual measure, perhaps even greater toll upon us, so much blood has been spilled in our struggle. And a lot of the world jury in the 20th century, I don't know about you, I think about I'm just watching the clock here. There's so much I want to show. One of the things that haunts me is I think to myself as those who experienced the burning of europe in the lower in the lower half of the 20th century they could not envision the existence of a jewish state imagine not knowing israel how selfish we are the assumption that we're always here we've always been here i cannot imagine my father and mother's childhoods a world where modern Israel did not exist. I, I think about that. This may be, according to Rabbi Wine, precisely what the rabbis meant when they stated, we have no one who we can truly reply, rely upon except our Father in heaven. Every generation experiences crises of faith and belief. Our generation, which is witness to the death of the false ideals that permeated Jewish society over the last two centuries, is left with no one to rely on, except for our Father in heaven. This week, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, Zatzalmi, he rests in peace. He quotes, "I, I, I remember hearing about this book, but of course, you know, I was too religious to pick it up. Thank goodness it was Rabbi Sachs to tell me what secular literature to read. So he quotes the writer, Bruce, I believe his name is Feiler, Feiler, who wrote a book called The Secrets of Happy Families. And the author Feiler, he makes this fantastic argument, which actually connects very closely with Torah values. And He says that the singular thing that all of us can do, and I'm thinking as a grandmother, because my mommying time, sadly, is over. But I still have that grandma time. So none of us are exempt. Those of us who don't have children can still be great aunts and uncles and role models to younger people um, in our orbits. And he says, develop a strong family narrative. And there were a lot of studies that are cited That point to the fact that the more children know about their family story, the stronger their sense of control over their lives, the higher their self-esteem, the more successfully they believe in their family functions. Of course, we're talking from a Torah point of view. The family narrative connects children to something, indeed, that's bigger than themselves. When a child says, Grandma, tell me about, fill in the blank. Daddy, tell me the story about when the bully, whatever the story is, it helps them make sense of how they fit into the world that existed before they were born. According to Rabbi Sachs, it gives them a starting point, an identity. This is who I am. This is the story of which I am a part. There are people who came before me and whose descendant, I am, I think it was Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who said, the day you were born is the day God decided that the world could not exist without you. I think of this stuff in my own family. And our Shabbos table talks, as well as the rare times I get to schmooze on the beach with my children and family or go camping. We talk, we talk. I tell my story. I know their school stories. They know the stories of their grandparents. A piece of a legend, a piece of that. And then we could bring in the stories of the Avaot and the Imaot, our forefathers. Our fore... We don't come from nowhere. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm opining. I love Rabbi Sachs, what a treasure. You know, again, we get back to the question I asked at the beginning. Why didn't Hashem just make Paro, just make him into a softy? Or why didn't he freeze the Egyptians in place and allow B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, to walk out of Israel unimpeded? Why would the makot, the plagues. I have to like translate this. Um, why were they necessary? They were terrible. And also, why does Hashem say to Moshe, Moses, why does he say, for I have made his heart and the hearts of his servants stubborn? You know, one reason, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, that this stubbornness just increased, increased Is that I never? I just came across that this week. A lot of Paro's advisors had already started accepting the idea of B'nai Yisrael's departure, they saw the figurative writing on the wall. Um, however, there are others who, seeing that the plagues came and abated and the destruction of the grain was not you know complete, they advised Paro. Not to permit it. There's a flaw in this Hebrew phraseology. You know, there's a flaw of these people. Paro, now, he has this predisposition of being stubborn. And God makes him more so because those around him were kind of providing a, shall we say, a more liberal slant. And this is pointed out by Me'am Lo'az, For the last time, Paro admitted wrongdoing. He said, God is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Paro puts the blame on his people, his advisors, and he equates himself with God. He's duplicitous. His behavior is duplicitous. And we get to see this is a man who is incapable of teshuva, of repentance, the kind that he might have had or kind of had a hint, a remes of during the actual plague, certainly the plague of the killing of the face, of the firstborn. You know, God could have made the first plague so bad that the Egyptians would have been glad. Let him out, let him out, let him go. Um There's a sepher, I just have pages of the sepher. I'm thinking of my friend Todd in California who really takes notes on this show. I gotta tell you, I have to stay sharp for Todd. Um, His sepher, Demesek Eliezer, lets us know, I got this, that Paro has these two characteristics. That of a rock depicting hardness and an inability to be easily worn down, but also that of sand depicting kind of shifting and changing what was there one minute is gone in an instant. Paro, once those plagues ceased, he conveniently forgot what he promised. God had to make him hard again, to carve into his very being the lessons to be learned and remembered forever, including today. God tells us in the very first sentence of the the parsha, the reason for the plagues, I'm going to uh, translate it into English, so that I can put these signs of mine in his midst. God wanted these signs to be inside, Paro, to penetrate his very core so that he understands the need for obedience to God and to perform true teshuva. Well, we're not only talking to Paro. Doesn't this apply to us? Paro is being set up as an example. Um, and, but on the other, you know, on one part he kind of re- represents all of mankind and all of the generations who have to understand the total acceptance. It's not a menu, one from column A and one from column B. The power, the mercy, the correctness of God. This is the essence of all the signs and the wonders That God works generally, sometimes, sometimes he works specifically, that I may put them in his midst, the mitzvot. Another reason, now this is, I have to tell you, every Pesach, instead of getting shorter and shorter, our seders, our Passover um, celebratory meals, they just seem to be getting longer and longer because unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm coming up with more stuff, as is my husband. And um, another reason for the, the plagues and for the mitzvah repeating the story of Exodus, like what, you're doing it again? <laughs> Didn't you read it last year? Is so that we can relate, is it the quote, in the ears of your son and your son's son, that you may know that I am Hashem. So in the stone uh, exhibit uh, edition of the Chumash, almost every home I go to has a stone hummus. The commentators note that the exodus, the exodus was a, a what's the word? I think it's a seminal event in world history, like all over the world in writings from every culture around the world at that time. It is recorded. Something massive happened in Egypt and it demonstrated God's mastery over nature. It becomes the exodus from Egypt and the sojourn in the de- desert becomes this textbook lesson for humanity. But God, he's not an aloof creator. He's the master of the universe day by day, event by event in the deserts of Sinai and in my kitchen as I prepare for the Sabbath. This verse encapsulates that concept because it tells Israel that the miracles of the Exodus were to teach them for all generations. God can toy with the most powerful kingdoms and that creates a perception that he is Hashem, the name that denotes eternity. It is necessary to transmit this information, as Rabbi Sachs quoting Bruce Feeler, to give a sense of identity. Let the children know from where they came. We are the children. It is said that if three generations know their history, The chain will continue unbroken. Okay, so a final thought on this. Necessary. And it says, and you shall know. Because if you yourself don't know the idea, if you yourself don't know who we are, what we believe in, We can't pass it on. I I often talk about the story. I was a freshman in college and someone came to me in the dorm and they said, let me ask you, you're Jewish, right? What do Jews believe about? And it didn't matter the rest of the sentence because I became awash with shame because I knew that whatever the question was, I didn't have the answer. And if that was enough from this well-meaning Christian who said, what do Jews believe about? For me to make sure that I did everything in my power to have some answers, if not for others, and myself. And you shall know, for if you yourself don't know or accept an idea, you can't pass it on. It's written at the end of the Sidra, in the, in the relationship to the mitzvah of tefillin that we just talked about. So that Hashem's Torah may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand Hashem removed you from Egypt. It's, um, our amuna today, our faith, that's the word, Amuna is faith. It's not based upon seeing miracles, the splitting of the Red Sea. It's based upon a commitment to Torah and mitzvot. Now, I will see it and I will do it. The rest is footnotes. The will of God cannot be rescued each generation from the hands of those who are going to destroy it. Destroy us You know, um, oh, I just have to answer this message from someone. Hello. Okay. As Rabbi Sachs concludes in this wonderful, wonderful essay that he brought out, you can't build a healthy society out of emotionally unhealthy families and angry and conflicted children. This was, as I said at the beginning of the show, when I was so awash in rage at the, early, at the earlier part of this week, I myself was a depiction of what Faro, Paro was like. I was divorced from myself. What is faith? Faith is the knowledge that it will be all right. It will be okay. Faith begins not in a vacuum, but faith begins in families, and faith gives birth to hope. Hope, my friends, is born in our home. Shabbat shalom umivorach um from Jerusalem.